Let's, uh, let's open in prayer. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the privilege to come together as a community and think about you. The world distracts us. It pulls us away. It pulls us away into unimportant things, things that are not eternal, things that don't have lasting value. Father, we just we ask that you would somehow collect our thoughts. I know thoughts tends, tend to be all over the place. My thoughts were distracted a little bit this morning as well. And Lord, help us center in on you for just this next few minutes and, and uh, to really think about you as a community and, and how we might apply this to our lives. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, this day got off, this day got off to a funny start for me. My, um, since my wife's not in here and she's back with the kids, I'll be able to tell this story without getting the stink eye. <clears throat> but she leaves early to set up for the kids, and uh, my, my daughter, my youngest daughter, comes in, and she has a black magician's cape on. And, yeah, okay, to, to each his own. And uh, she said, uh, Dad, what do you think? I'm going to wear this to church. And, I mean, this is not just like a little cape. It is a long, flowing, massive collar, Dracula-looking cape. And I'm trying to kind of get ready. I'm trying to think about the message a little bit. I was a little bit distracted. And, and uh, she said, Dad, I'm going to wear this. And I said, Babe, I'm telling you, you're not going to wear that to church. <laughs> and she knew exactly because her mother wasn't there. And her mother was already gone. And I said, so you think your mother approves of this? No, Dad, I'm going to wear this. And she was trying on different dresses on her. I said, I'm just telling you. And I, I got so distracted by this cape, by this cape. And then I got in the car and I was a little late, and I was coming around the corner, and I went around a guy, and I got the one-finger salute, and I'm just like, what is going on here? Something is, this is supposed to be like New Year's, Christmas, you know, the festive season and all this. And so that's how your pastor comes to you today. A little discombobulated. I got capes working, I got fingers flying, I got all kinds of stuff going on, and I'm just trying to say, all right, Lord, let's, let's. so that prayer, by the way, was for me. That was not so much for you, that was for me. So uh, I almost feel like I need to pray again after that confession. So, Well, here we go. We've been talking about, we've been going through the book of Ephesians for those of you who have not been here. Hopefully you're on live stream now. If you're not here all the time, you have the privilege. These guys do just an amazing job, and gals too, by the way, uh, do an amazing job of getting this to you each week. <clears throat> so you can kind of keep, yeah, I, that's right. I mean, amazing job. Given, given the, the multi-million dollar budget we give them, I think they do an extraordinary job. And uh, so that's always available to you, it's even on YouTube and all that uh, now. So, but we've been working through the book of Ephesians, and we've gotten to this part about the foundations of the church. And so we started talking about this idea that to build a church, there has to be preparation done first. We talked about removing mountains, lifting up valleys, making the broad terrain, a, you know, a very level there has to be preparation in all of our hearts before we even begin to think concretely about Jesus. It just is the case because there's too many questions. There could be questions in your mind even today here just about, I don't even know, I don't even know if I believe in a God, but if, maybe if there is a power out there, maybe it's called nature or something, I don't know what it is, but if there is a power out there, I'm not so sure it can communicate to me, it's unknowable, maybe that's where you are. And so there are a lot of kind of things you have to work through before you even begin to talk about a guy being on earth, and what we talked about last week, taking on the form of a man even though he's God, I mean, that's hard to grasp. And even getting to the Jesus part of this conversation, it, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of preparation that has to be done. 
And then the materials have to be gathered. People have to be gathered. That's just part of what goes on in terms of building the church. Uh, we're going to be having this thing, you know, in January during the PJ Tour uh, event uh, that Marty Jacobus is running and others, Dwayne McNett and other guys are helping us run, which we're going to bring some PJ Tour players in and we're going to do it over at the Stouffer's Esmeralda, not at a church, you know, at an off-site place so you can bring your friends who don't know Jesus and they're in this community and much of this community is a golf community. What is that? It's gathering people. It's gathering. You know, the church, you just have to gather people. You have to prepare in their hearts and you have to gather people. And then today we're going to talk about building. So you got to prepare, you got to gather, and then you've got to build. The question is, do we build the church? Well, yes and no, but ultimately it's Jesus building his church. And that's where I want to start this morning. If you have your Bibles, I want you to go to Matthew chapter 16. When we were in Israel here another about three weeks ago, <clears throat> as many of you know, we were in Caesarea Philippi, and Caesarea Philippi was exactly where this conversation took place. And there's a, there's a God pan there, and, and it's actually a beautiful place. You, most people were so shocked when they got to Israel. They, just, they, they thought it was just going to be barren sand and flat land and a few little hovels there every once in a while. And occasionally you'd go and find some food somewhere, gather some food somewhere. And yet, if you go to the northern part of Israel, all the way up to the Lebanese border, which is where we were, which is almost where this is near Tel Dan, I mean, it looks like Colorado in places. In fact, we go out to this one place and I do a teaching on, on idolatry and it's back to actually where they used to set up some of these idolatrous places and we have to kind of take a trail that goes back through and you cross a cold water river and there's trout everywhere and I'm like, there are no fly fisher people in Israel. I'm telling you, these fish would go for anything and if you know anything about fly fishing, I mean, I'm just like, these the huge trout there and everybody's kind of, and you know, where are we? Have we been in a time warp or in Israel? Well, that's where the Caesarea Philippi is. It's way up in the northern parts of Israel. And this conversation took place. And Jesus began to ask them some questions. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. Listen to what he says. He says, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, he said, who do, who do men say that the Son of Man is? Who do people say the Son of Man is? And they said, well, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say Elijah, Jeremiah, some of the prophets. They say all kinds of things. And then he says, but who do you say that I am? Now, there is not a more significant question and then answer to that question. And as a follower of Jesus now, there is not a more significant question that you will ever be asked other than who do you say that I am? coming from Jesus, teacher, interesting icon, you know, famous guy from a long time ago. I don't even know if he existed. Okay, I think he was a religious figure and he did these things, but I'm not sure. Who do you say that I am? And Jesus, and Peter responds. Peter doesn't get these questions right very often. <laughs> you know, just, just a few, just a, a chapter later, he says, get behind me, Satan, to Peter. I mean, right? So Peter made a lot of mistakes, cut off people's ears, making all kinds of... God had to shush him in the middle of, a, you know, in Matthew chapter 17, the Mount of Transfiguration. God the Father had to shush Peter because he was talking out of turn. So Peter, but Peter got this right. Listen to what he says. He says, you are Christ. That's Messiah, the anointed one. You are son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And now we're going to get into the most controversy, historically controversial explications of Scripture that you will ever find. And this is primarily, not, 
not entirety, but primarily the divide between Catholic Christianity and Protestant Christianity. The divide really is very much here, not exclusively, but very much foundationally it is here. And, I, and, and obviously, you know, I mean, we have many Catholic friends among us today. And one of the things I love about Church of the Red Door is that we have a lot of people that go to Mass and then they come here. And, 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 and so I, please understand that some, even bringing this up is going to be in some ways controversial. And the battle will rage regardless of how I unpack this or don't unpack this. But I'm just telling you, this is a big divide. And is, it, is the church based on Peter or is the church based upon what? Peter said, and the truth that he just that just came out of his mouth. So listen to what he says. <clears throat> I also say to you that you are Peter. Now remember, Jesus had renamed Peter. He was Cephas, and he renamed him. You are Peter. Now Peter is this kind of a play on words because Peter means rock. It's Petros. You are a stone. You're a little stone. And and then he says, and upon this rock. I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Now, this is the divide. Now, the, the language here, he shifts. He doesn't say, you are Petros, and upon this Petros, I will build my church. He says, you are Petros, and upon this Petra, I will build my church. Now, Petros is a smaller stone, but a Petra, it could be like, it could, it could reference a cliff, a ledge, a massive boulder. It's a large significant stone now in light of if I just had this I I think to be honest with you Peter did some extraordinary things let's just be honest we're going to see it in Acts chapter 10 Peter was the one that very first brought the message of the gospel to the Gentile world in Acts chapter 10 to Cornelius Peter played a huge role apostolically in terms of building the church he played a he played a massive role so I mean it's understandable that this can be kind of part of that dialogue now, the question of whether the Pope is a descendant of Peter, and that's the Catholic's position, is that Peter was the first Pope, and then over the next few hundred years, it just kind of began to evolve, and, and, then, and then these Popes emerged in the line of Peter. Now, I'm the, I don't necessarily buy that, and that's why I'm not a Catholic, but I still say we can, I can come together with many of my Catholic friends, and we can still talk and have a conversation and dialogue about Jesus and follow Jesus. I do believe that. Some of you may be offended by that, but I do believe that. And, and so that's just, that's where we are. But as it relates to this, was the church built on Peter? Well, yes and no. We know that the foundation of the church was built upon Christ the cornerstone, which we've been talking about the last two weeks. Christ the cornerstone, the rock, the big rock. Christ is the foundation of the church. I believe that. I, I, think, I think that to me, given everything else that we know about Christ being the rock, and we've talked about it again multiple times. Daniel 2, the one that smashes and all, all nations bow down to and all the, all the different language that we get. He's the cornerstone. He's the capstone. He's the foundation of the church. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 5, simply says that Christ is the head of the church. Christ is the head of the church. Now, the language here is also used another time. In Matthew chapter 7, many of you will know it well. It's just that it just says simply that Jesus says, you know, when the storms come, you'd better make sure that your life is built upon the rock. And he doesn't use Petros, he uses Petra on the large stone, on the grand truth that, it, that is essentially that I am the Messiah. Who do you say that I am? Thou art Christ, Son of the living God. That is what the church is built upon. 
No man, no human man in my view, but Jesus himself is the foundation of the church. Now, but what makes up the foundation is also Peter is part of the foundation as one of the apostles. The prophets, the apostles, Christ himself being the cornerstone and the reality that he's the Messiah. That's important to say. So, by the way, we saw and. I will build my church. Who's building the church? When we talk about building the church, it's both our responsibility, but it's Jesus who is doing the building. But he's looking for people to inhabit, to live in, right? My response this morning, driving by that guy, and I'll I'll slow down. I'm going to say, I I wonder if they just, my chance, might be coming to church at the Red Door because I'm going to have a... No, I'm (laughs) But my, like... What is that? What is that foundation of this church? I mean, I am, I, I'm ticked off that that guy and my daughter wants to wear a cape. I mean, I'm so easily moved by things. Please tell me the church is not built upon a human being, but upon the cornerstone who is without blemish. That's Jesus. So what Paul's doing in Ephesians chapter 2 and 3 is he's describing the deficit of the Gentiles. He's also, and we're going to look at this in a minute, the deficit of the Jewish people. And he's saying there's a mystery that's been entrusted to me that is so overwhelming, so powerful, and the timing is perfect. If you'll remember back, I think this was almost a year ago, we did times and seasons. We did a series on times and seasons. Some of you were here. Galatians 4.4 is very clear when it talks about simply this. Listen to the language. When the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. So at the exact right time in human history, as seen by prophets for hundreds of years, sometimes even down to the day, if you read Daniel in that particular way, you see this this amazing experience that at the exact right time, Jesus experiences a man for 33, 33 and a half years, whatever it was, he came down and he dwelt among men at the exact right time. Now, Paul is saying, and the mystery about what's going to happen in terms of the building of the church, that's been given to me. That's his claim in Ephesians. I mean, if you don't get that, you're not going to get anything. That's Paul's claim. The mystery's been revealed to me. I know, you, I, I know it's hard. You say, talk about bragging. And that's what we're going to see later. Paul balanced that beautifully because we're going to ask the question in a minute, well, who's even capable of building the church? I mean, who's, who, could, who could belly up to that bar and say, yeah, that's me. Give it to me. Let me, let me do that. I mean, I am so, I can barely get past the guy on the road today, and here I am, I'm going to build a church? I mean, come on. Yes, but it's Christ who's building it through us. It's Christ who's building it through us. So the time was now for what? For the whole world. For the whole world to get the message. And that was the mystery. What Paul, what nobody saw coming was that the mystery of the gospel was that Jesus was going to come and die And it was going to go around the whole world. Now, you know this conversation he has with Nicodemus, don't you? John chapter 3, many of you will know that. Even Rainbow Man in the end end zone at the end of the game, when I was growing up and watching Dallas Cowboy football, he was always rainbow with a rainbow wig, and he'd put up John 3.16, you know. You still see that some, but not as much. They've gotten good at kind of avoiding those kinds of peoples with the cameras. But he's having this conversation. You know the language here in verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. For God so loved the world. Now, you've got to realize he said for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. 
But elsewhere, what did he do? Jesus said, I only came for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So what is it? Well, God understood, Jesus understood that there would be a plan and it would be revealed to a violent persecutor, an aggressive person towards the church. So strange, isn't it? That's kind of how I feel. If, if, if I can even speak to one person about the reality of Jesus, this is just so strange. Looking at my background. I mean, it's just, it's just weird. I mean, that just shouldn't be. Well, that's exactly. But Jesus saw the plan, and he even sees, he saw Paul in advance, and he even sees you as being part of that plan to build Prepare, gather. Okay, now we as a church, if we're not building the kingdom, if we're not building the church, if we're, I'm not talking about just gathering believers. I'm talking about going out and like for that tour event, going out and inviting our friends who don't know Jesus to come to something that, they'll, that they don't have to jump through a lot of religious hoops to get to. If we can do that, then we're part of gathering and building and gathering and building and gathering and building. And that's what Jesus' language was. He says, because God didn't send the Son into the world to judge it, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes him, is, it's not judged. He, he, he who believes has been judged, doesn't believe has been judged already because he's not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. These are Jesus, this Jesus' words, his language. Listen to Jesus. It's not religiosity. It's not some pastor or some priest or somebody. It's Jesus' words. Listen to this. This is the judgment. The light came into the world. Now, remember, Isaiah had seen that's what we talked about last week. Christmas, ostensibly, is the time that Jesus came, right? Well, even if the date's not right, the point is that Isaiah had seen it happen. Behold, there will be a great light that will come out of the land of Zebulun and Naphtali. Those who lived in darkness will see a great light. Now, here, Jesus is using the language again, and he used this also in John chapter 8. He says, I, behold, I am... I am the light of the world. And that's the point is you cannot just say he's a great teacher. What great teacher says that, kind of, says that kind of stuff? He was insane or he was the light of the world. This is the judgment. The light came into the world. Men loved the darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil. Now, that was me. I just got to tell you, I, the reason I run from Jesus for a long time because I didn't want to do what he told me. I knew he would have me do. I wanted to live my life like I wanted to live my life. For everyone who does evil hates the light and doesn't come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. So here was the problem. In the letter of the Ephesians, the Gentiles are like, we're not, we're, we, we don't really belong to this. We don't understand the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We don't have all your customs. We don't know anything about like we talked about a few weeks ago. We don't know anything about the, the feasts, the spring feasts, the fall feasts, and all your Jewish customs. We don't know about all this stuff. I don't know that we can really be included. And Paul is trying to persuade them, yes, you were without hope and without God in the world, but now you've been made part of this community. You're part of this, Peter would go on to say, you're part of this royal priesthood, this holy nation. He was trying to persuade the Gentiles in Ephesus and the surrounding area that you guys are part of this. But he was also having a hard time with the Jewish audience. Even the Jews who had embraced Jesus were having trouble with one of the main things. And because they had read the prophets for years, 
the nations were going to stream to them. This idea of going to other places and going out to the Gentiles or even a missionary journey was really strange to the ears of even Jewish, Jewish followers of Jesus. Paul going to the Gentiles, you got to realize they didn't even have any clue that the Gentiles were going to get this message. We've, we've referenced this before, but even again, I refer to our trip to Israel. We, our first night, we stayed uh, at the Ritz-Carlton right there in Tel Aviv, right where Peter had stayed when he was there. And, uh, and, I think, and the reason is I read his uh, review on Yelp, and the, it was unbelievable. So. And he has this beautiful breakfast. And then the very first place we got, we got right in the buses. We left Tel Aviv. That used to be Joppa. That's where Peter was when he has this vision, and we made our way towards Netanya, stopped at Israel College of the Bible, and then made our way up to Caesarea where Cornelius was. And I told the people on the bus that I was on at that particular time, I said, this was the very track. We're going right along the Mediterranean, going north. This is exactly the track that Peter had, having no idea what would be in store for him, that Gentiles were going to go, yeah, we believe this, and the Holy Spirit was going to be poured out on them, and then they were going to begin to, you know, worship God in different languages. He was like, the Spirit's poured out on what is going on. Our, our, whole, our whole minds are being blown by this Gentile people coming in. And see, but if they read their prophets, they always said, well, no, 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 no. We're not going to have to go to the Gentiles. The nations are going to stream to us. Can you see the problem that they would have had trying to understand what their prophets had written hundreds of years in advance. Let me give you a couple, just a couple of examples. We could go many places. Isaiah 2, verses 2 through 4. Isaiah 2, verses 2 through 4. They, they're supposed to be coming to Jerusalem, not us going to them. They're coming to us. Go? Who goes? Missionary journeys? That's strange. Strange to our ears because they had these verses in their mind. Isaiah had says, Now it will come about that in the last days the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains. Again, language referencing this big rock, which is the reality that Jesus is the Messiah, or Jesus himself. It will be raised above the hills, and the nations will stream to it. And many people will come and say, come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us concerning his ways, that we may walk in his paths. For the law will go forth from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations, render decisions for many people. They will hammer their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation, and never again will they learn war. You can see from a Jewish perspective about church going and building and doing all this kind of thing, especially among the Gentiles? No, no, no. The nations are going to come to us. They're going to bow down to us. There's some language in the prophets that said they'll actually get down on their knees and lick the dust. That's what's going to happen. That's the picture we have of Messiah, and Jesus doesn't fit the bill on any of that. Baby in a manger, crucified from Nazareth. you got to be kidding me. Grew up in Nazareth? What good thing can come out of Nazareth? I mean, who is this Jesus character? That's not anybody that they're going to come down and bow down to. No, 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 that doesn't fit their prophets. This clearly is not the Messiah. You can see the, the feeling that they might have. Or Isaiah 60, talking about a glorified Zion. Listen to the language here. Isaiah 60, verse 1. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness will cover the earth, deep darkness the people, that's the Gentiles or the Goim, but the Lord will rise upon you and his glory will appear upon you. Nations will what? 
come to your light. Kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes round about and see. They all gather together. They come to you. They come to you. Your sons from afar, your daughters will be carried in their arms. Then you will see and be radiant and your heart will thrill and rejoice because the abundance of the seas will be turned to you and the wealth of nations. You're not going to have to go get it. It's going to come to you. So you can imagine again that with this filtering through the minds of many of the Jewish Many in the Jewish community, both religious Jews and otherwise, and even early followers of Jesus who were Jewish, this was, this was so part of their eschatology, their, their feeling that when Messiah comes, he's going to do these amazing things and the nations are going to bow and stream and all this other, other kind of thing. And, and now here Paul is saying, no, here's the mystery that the Gentiles are going to come in. And then here's even more of the mystery. We're going to have to go then back out to them. We are a light to the nations. Now we have to go. No, 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 they don't want to go. They're coming to us. What did they have wrong? They had the timing wrong. And I told you a couple of weeks ago, when we got back, one of the things that I always impress on any group that I take to Israel, I said, look, what's happening? At least a partial fulfillment, depending on how, you're, how you view, the, you know, millennium and all this kind of thing. But at least a partial fulfillment is happening right now the nations are streaming to Jerusalem you go to Israel anytime and you're going to see busload after busload after busload as I alluded to a couple weeks ago every night and every, we'd stop at every site and I go now ask people where they're from just ask people uh, Nigeria Zimbabwe New Zealand Australia South Africa you know South America you know we're from Paraguay we're from everywhere I didn't think there was a Canadian there it was unbelievable <laughs> No, I mean, it, just, it was every nation, and they're streaming there to do what? To walk in the paths of Jesus and learn about him. I think that's, a, that, that's happening. But that didn't happen in early days. They had to go. And what they didn't see was that the timing of this is that Jesus was going to have to come and die. And then he will come back, and he will rule and reign and ultimately, yeah, every nation will bow, every tongue will confess, every knee will bow. I mean, all that's going to happen in the future. But it's already in some ways happening as the church is being built, as we're being built into a church. Not that you have to go to Israel, but if you've had the opportunity to, you're going to be, in my view, part of this fulfillment. They had their timing wrong. Number two, they thought it was going to be a political process. You know, their view was of Messiah was always filtered through a political solution to their political problems. It's a, it's a mistake that the church can still make. Jesus is not ultimately here to solve our political problems. Let me be clear about that. I'm not suggesting he's not in it because Daniel 2.21 tells us that. He raises up leaders and then he deposes them. He's sovereign over the nations, but his primary task is not to solve our political problems. Why? Because the church is divided even on political issues. Maybe not moral issues, but political issues, certainly fiscal issues and other issues. They didn't realize it wasn't going to be a political solution. They, they, didn't realize, they thought it was going to be a political solution. They didn't realize it was going to be a heart solution. See, the reason Jesus came and died and then so that the promise to Abraham, which was the Holy Spirit, would be poured out upon us so that he could be doing an inside-out job. So they had that messed up. And then finally, simply Paul's task is just, it's glorious. I mean, think about Paul's task. 
here I am. I hate the church. I'm trying to get rid of the church, this, this new thing called the way. And now all of a sudden, the mystery, I get knocked off my horse. The bright light, the bright light again, here's Jesus as the light on the road to Damascus. And what's the first thing that Ananias tells him? God speaks through Ananias. You tell Paul this, that I'm going to send him to the nations. That's the mystery that he's trying to get to communicate to the Ephesians here in this letter. This is such a mystery, and it was such a mystery even to me. But now I've been given the task to unpack this because I know the Old Testament. I know the Tanakh. I know what our prophets have said, and we got it wrong. We didn't realize the Messiah was going to have to come and die. We, just, we were looking at a political solution. I know it's mysterious, but it's awesome. Let me tell you about it. And that's why we have the New Testament. About two-thirds of it is Paul trying to speak to both Jew and Gentile. Letter to the Hebrews to the Jewish believing community, most of the other letters to the Gentile believing community, or both. And he said, here's how we ought to live. And that's where we're going to get the second part of Ephesians. The first three chapters are unpacking this beautiful mystery. And then the second three chapters, okay, well, if that's true, how ought we to live? And that's how the book the letter of the Ephesians is structured. So I want to press forward and ask the question, who is capable of building the church? I mean, who's, who's worthy of that? I mean, Jesus is doing the building. But I want you to think now, if Paul has been entrusted with this grand a mystery, I mean, this is an extraordinary mystery. If he's been entrusted with it, he must have all the requisite credentials. And here's what Paul says about himself. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. First about all of us collectively, and then he speaks about himself specifically. Are you ready? Consider your calling, brother. So you say, well, I'm not, I don't know if I'm equipped to build a church. Okay, here's, here's, here's your qualifications. You ready? Consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh. All right? So he needs, he needs not wise guys, but he needs uh, people who aren't so wise. He needs the mighty, no, he, not many mighty not many noble, God's chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. I'm like, I qualify for that. <laughs> There's a lot of things I don't qualify, but I qualify for that. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. You know how many times I went to PGA Tour qualifying school? Missed by a shot. Missed here. Went there. Got that, you know? I mean, m noble, mighty. No, 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 no. My girls would do this. Loser. In so many ways, I fit. I, I'm like, okay, I can do this. Base things of the world, despised. God has chosen the things that are not so that he may nullify the things that are so that no man might boast before God. But by his doing, you are in Christ who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. In other words, righteousness, sanctification, a bunch of religious terms, but all this beauty came from Christ and was given to us. So that, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Anything you see that might any way move you in the direction of the church or the kingdom or something, anything like that that you see and might get through me, can I just tell you, let's just make it clear, it all is Christ. Christ in you, the hope of glory, is what Paul told the church at Colossae. Well, is that true? Look, I, I think sometimes, you know, I, I was thinking this morning, okay, 
This is about building the church. And I know there are going to be people there that maybe don't even know God. And there are going to be people online. How do you get somebody ramped up about building the church? Why not just say, here's what God, God wants to, you know, satisfy all your needs. God wants to, you know, make all your dreams come true. You know, God wants to do that. That's a much more exciting language. God wants to make you healthy, wealthy, strong, all that. That's, much, that's a much greater opportunity to capture people's attention, at least for the short term. But let me tell you something. This has legs. This church thing has legs. 2,000 years of growth. You say, well, you know, this is kind of a hard place that we do here in this Palm Springs, you know, rat pack kind of thing, you know, that we have. Frank Sinatra Drive and Gerald Ford and Celebrityville and all this kind of thing. And a lot of wealthy people, tennis and golf, and I guess now pickleball. (laughs) We've added to our cadre of things that we do. And we have all this, and you say, how do you grab people? Let me tell you, the church is being, it's so on fire in various parts of the world. We may not feel it as much here. I think it's challenging to do church right here. There's so many other things to do on Sunday at this time. So many things to do. How do you get people fired up? Because this has legs. Laura and I have been, we're both fascinated with the CNN stuff on the 80s. Have you seen this? The 70s, the 80s, the 90s. About, about the turn of, every time we get close to a new year, it'll go back and do kind of a retrospective on certain decades. And we like, we, I kind of came of age, she was a little younger than I am, but I kind of came of age in the 80s. I graduated high school in 1982. So the 80s were kind of the, were kind of my, my decade, the music that I think about came from the 80s. You know, we're all different here, right? But for me, it was the 80s. And looking back at all that and, and, and Steve Jobs and all, the, all that happened with Apple and then, you know, Scully coming in, the guy from Pepsi, and then he, he kind of went and then he, he, they pushed Steve Jobs out and then he comes back and all that. And just that whole idea of uh, Bill Gates and, you know, and, and, and going on in the Internet, it's way before the Internet, but just... The home computer, the personal computer, and how much that revolutionized everything. And, and you look back and you look at these people's lives, and it, they were just bigger than life. I think John Lennon got shot in the 80s and died. Uh, you know, President Reagan gets shot in the 80s and survives. And, you know, bigger than life people. And almost all those people are dead now. It's not that they, you know, people don't write books about them and things. But it won't, be, it won't be much longer, and Steve Jobs won't, and our grandkids, my grandkids, is Steve Jobs, I don't know who that is. You know, I, even presidents and things, yeah, I, I think I remembered once in, in, in school, I, I did read about that. I mean, how much do you know about Calvin Coolidge or somebody like that, you know? I mean, they, it passes, and everything just goes, and then things that are really important to us are not so important, but guess what? The church keeps building and is more vibrant and more people are coming into the kingdom and building the church we may not feel it in the in in this palm springs area but it's happening all over the world you go to south africa you go to different places you go to china you go to it's just amazing the stories that you hear about the ramping up the church this thing has legs and who builds it not the noble not the wise not many among you 
could be really... Now, I know we have some extraordinary people in here, but I think Jesus' language is, well, relative to God, we're all not very noble or wise. Not relative to my Father. Paul uses this language about himself. 1 Timothy chapter 1, listen to what he says. I thank Christ our Lord who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever thought about that? Has God put you into service? Have you ever asked him, Lord, will you put me into service? He says, even though, and here's his list of qualifications. You ready? I was formerly a blasphemer, persecutor, violent aggressor, and yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. I was also an unbelieving, ignorant person. Now, he was well qualified in some ways because he had studied under Gamaliel, and he was unbelievable. But he's just saying, this is really who I was. And he says, the grace of the Lord was more than abundant. With the faith and love which are found in Jesus, it's a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. Now, catch this. If this is God's speaking to us today, some 2,000 years later, this is a trustworthy statement. I can't tell you what's going to happen in the market next year or where you should live or any of that. I can't give you a trustworthy statement. But this, I'm telling you, is trustworthy. And this is worth your full acceptance. You ready? Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. Yet for this reason I found mercy. Why? So that in me, as the foremost sinner... Jesus might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. See, if Paul had been coddled from the time he was young and had grown up, and the moment he heard about Jesus, he, he was, immediately became a disciple. He immediately was a follower. He did everything right. He didn't do what Peter did, cut off somebody's ear. He didn't get shushed. He didn't get none of that. He was the perfect disciple. He was, in fact, he was almost as spot-free as Jesus himself. If that would have been Paul, I don't know if I'd have been qualified. But he's saying, because this is who I really was, a violent persecutor, an aggressor, the most, of, of all the sinners, I'm the foremost. And God did that so that 2,000 years later in Palm Desert, California, we'd be sitting here and we'd be able to say, well, I guess maybe then I'm not disqualified from building God's church. I love that. And then he finishes with this, 1 Corinthians 15. He even gets stronger with it. For I am the least of the apostles. I'm not even fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, and I love this, now catch this, his grace toward me did not prove vain. But I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. He said, look, God poured out so much grace on me. I was so undeserving. But, and, but then, rather than just saying, okay, it's grace, it's grace. But he said, look, his grace did not prove vain in my life. Because he was so grace-filled towards me, I worked my butt off to build the church. I gave my life. I gave up everything. I quit thinking about all my stuff and my, my time and my vacations and all this. And I became so singularly minded, I, was not, I knew that it was all grace. And because it was all grace, I had to give everything. Everything that I had, it didn't prove vain in my life. I wasn't just going to be a churchgoer. No way. I was going to build the church. 
And that call still rings down true over the last 2,000 years. And men and women of every generation, every ethnicity, and every tongue, every, there are men and women who have given their lives, and those are the people that we should lift up and go, now there is an honorable guy that I want to be like. There is an honorable woman that I want to be like. I aspire to be like her, and there's great wisdom in that. And that's what Paul's saying here. Who do you aspire to be like? I don't know. Well, somebody in your field? Well, it's nothing wrong with excelling in whatever God's put you the field. But I'll tell you, there has to be something beyond that. You've got to have an eternal directional sense, a compass that's so fixed that if you are in a particular field or you live a particular place or you have a particular amount of money, you need to be riveted on building the church. Why? Jesus is... He just said, look, before he goes back and he ascends back to the Father, listen to the language here. Matthew 28. We all know this is the Great Commission. Are we goers? Are we going to be a going church? Are we going to be, well, they'll come to us. Now, we'll just, if we do it right and have a nice, comfortable place, they'll just all come to us. Now, are we going to go? We're going to be a going church, and this is why. The 11 disciples... Matthew 28, 16, the 11 disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some were doubtful. By the way, I just am so thankful that that's in my Bible. These were the disciples that traveled with him for three years, three and a half years. They go back, they hear about his resurrection, and yet they don't even believe their eyes. Some of them are still doubtful. Oh, those ancient people, they just, you know, believed in anything. You know, they just believed any kind of myth that came along. You can't trust what the... They were still doubtful. They, they realized it wasn't normal for dead people to come up out of the grave. They weren't that stupid. Jesus came and spoke to them and said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. I, I, I just have to let that sink in for a second. How much authority has been given to Jesus? Every bit of it. You can say, well, I don't know. I... He created it, and now he bought it back. He redeemed, and he's coming for his stuff. He will come back for his stuff, and he has all authority to do that. We have to remind ourselves of that sometimes. I think we think we're going to kind of balance this out, balance the powers. There's no balance of power here. This is not a democracy. It's a kingship, and all authority has been given him. This is his claim anyway. Go, therefore, because all authority is given to me, you go and make disciples of all nations. And that may start in your neighborhood. It may just be right here in the valley. Just go. God put somebody in your heart, go. Got some kind of event you're doing as a church, be part of it. Invite friends. Don't just come and bring other people with you. Gather the things that need the church to be built with. Gather it up. Do we believe that? We have a God-given gifts that need to be developed then? That's our question. If, we, if we're going to build, has God given us special giftings that people might be saved to help build this edifice called the church? Remember, so the church is Christ the cornerstone, the apostles, the prophets being the foundation, and now we are living stones. We looked at this last week. We're living stones being built into a dwelling place for God in the Spirit. Okay, that's beautiful. I love going back to the actual physical construction of the temple or the tabernacle, right? And what God told them, I always say there's something. If he's telling them to build a physical, that's a, that's a, that's a, it's, it's a very helpful uh, picture for us that we have today. So I'm going to take something that's going to seem random to you, but it's not random. 
So we're going to draw this out of Exodus chapter 31 and then we'll close. Exodus chapter 31, 1 through 11, listen to the language. God's saying, here's, I'm going to give you skilled craftsmen. Now, rather than thinking, I, you are all, through, through natural giftedness, even before you knew Jesus, through the spiritual gifts of 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12, we are all have gifts. The Bible says that everybody has been given a portion of the Spirit for the common good. What's the common good? Well, if the church is building and growing, then that's the common good. That means we got more people to hang out with, to be with, to do life with, and then to go back out and build a church more with. It's beautiful. So he says, I'm going to give you skills craftsmen to build this literal temple, but do you think he's still giving us skill craftsmen? I say yes. So let's draw a spiritual analog to what we're getting here. Verse 1. Now the Lord spoke to Moses said, see, I've called you by name, Bezalel, the son of Uri, and the son of Hur, and the tribe of Judah. I have filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom. See, that's what God will help you do if you say, here am I, help me help you build a church, Jesus. Would you use me in some way to build a church? Whatever it is. I'm a business guy. Somehow I just do business deals and they, they turn to gold. I see all my friends and they see they, we have the same education. We have the same everything. My business flourishes. They, they're smarter than I am in their business. They, they start a business over and over and it, it fails. They take a company public and it doesn't last. I, I don't know what's going on. I just It's like everything I t touch turns to gold. Well, maybe that's your skillful craftsman, and you're able then to bring finances into taking the message. I look around. I say, see, you know, South Africa, Cuba. I'm just looking at people right now that I know are going in a missionary mindset as a goer. I'm just looking around, and I see all kinds of you that are saying, okay, I, I'm going to expand. I'm going to use my stuff to help God, Jesus, build his church because he said he was going to build it. I'm a skillful craftsman. He's going to put the Spirit of God in wisdom in me. And I'm going to understand things that I couldn't possibly understand in understanding, in knowledge. He's going to give me a deep sense of what he's doing even when I don't have any clue. And yet if I'll pray and seek him, he's going to say, well, here's what I'm doing in Palm Desert, California, in La Quinta, California, or here at this club or that club or over here at this Coachella Valley Rescue Mission. Here's what he's doing over here. Here's what he's doing. And he's just going to give me knowledge. And all of a sudden, I'm going to go, okay, I, I think I sense what you're doing. And you've given me these skills. You've given me this wisdom. You've given me this knowledge. I'm going to go for it. And all kinds of craftsmanship to make artistic designs for work in gold and silver and in bronze and in the cutting of stones for settings and in the carving of wood that he may work in all kinds of craftsmanship. It takes all kinds of skills to build a spiritual temple, not the physical temple that they're talking about here, the spiritual temple. And behold, I myself have appointed him with Aholiab, the son of Ahizamach, and of the tribe of Dan, and the hearts of all who are skillful I've put Skill, I have put skill, that they may make all that I have commanded you. What's Jesus commanding us? I mean, you say, well, what, is, what were the, Jesus is about to ascend back to the Father. You think, okay, here's what I want you to do. Pursue your dreams and be as happy as you can. Pursuit of happiness and all that, our American dogma, right? No, he said, here's, here's, my, here's my final command to you, and I will come back, and I will ask for the stewardship. I will ask how you've, how you've stewarded what I've given you. I'm coming back, and here's what I'm going to ask. Well, how, what did you do with my last thing before I left planet Earth? Were you a goer? Were you a church builder? 
Or did you kind of like to, I, I'm spiritual, but I kind of like to do it on my own. I'm just kind of individual. I kind of, I like to float. I'm not talking about a physical building. We may build a physical building here or we may not. I don't know. I don't know what the Lord's going to do. We'll give you an update on that, by the way, in February, because I know some of you are curious. But I don't know. I don't know what the Lord's going to do. But we are building a spiritual temple here. And I'm much more concerned about that than I am ever a physical building. And he goes on. So here's, here's our question in, in closing. So we want to we prepare. We want to gather. And we want to build. And all of it's the grace of Jesus. It's all him doing the work. It's all his power. Yes, it's Jesus building his church. But he needs people. People need salvation. One of the hardest things for me, especially in a place like this, maybe if I was in a place that was dirt poor, where people just had such physical, gross physical need, that the gospel would seem like they need it more. But somehow here, some people just seem so content. Now, I see behind the scenes, I, and many of you do too. But people seem so content here. You know, everything's good and everybody's kind of nice to each other. We don't have high crime rate. Not, probably not in Indian Wells, not a really high crime rate, you know. We don't see a lot of graffiti and a lot of stuff that you would, you know, it's just pretty controlled environment. Everybody seems pretty happy. Their bank accounts are pretty pretty full and sometimes because we see that in other people we don't see how desperately in need spiritually that they are and we are we don't have spiritual eyes to see so sometimes it takes a parable it takes something to help us see there was a movie that came out after we all know what happened at the world trade center it's a movie that came out about a couple of guys that were stranded and nobody could hear. You know, there are people in our communities that are crying out spiritually and nobody can hear. We're too busy. We're, we're too busy with activities. And so this parable, I think, will help. This little clip of, I want you to, I mean, it's just, it's a, it, a parable is something that comes alongside a spiritual reality and helps us with a physical, a physical reality story that helps us. Imagine people next door to you. What, what would your heart be? Are you, the, are you the responders? Are you a first responder where you're listening for that cry or not? Let's watch this and I'll come back and close. Sarge. John McLaughlin. Can you hear me? Yell or tap. Can you hear me? Are you sleeping? Sir! Well. Where are we? In hell? We're live in hell. How about that, John? Clive. Keep trying. I have pipe. Good. Keep doing it. 
circle back. Oh, never mind. have your Bibles, go to Romans chapter 10, and then we'll close. <clears throat> I love that. You are our mission. We're Marines. We're not pew sitters. We're not people out. No, we're, we're first responders. We're people that have a, an identity of people that we're going to go into a culture, and there are people that are in desperate need. I mean, are you not pulling? Oh, that they could just hear, that somebody would hear their cries. Paul asked this, Romans 10, chapter 13, whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Well, how will they call upon him in whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without someone that goes out and tells them, a preacher. It's not just, I'm not just the preacher. There are many preachers in this, in this room right now and on live stream and other places. How shall they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring glad tidings of good things. He's quoting Isaiah 52. So are we going to be that? Are we going to be a first responder church? That's, that's the challenge. I'll be honest with you, if we're not... Nobody wants to just play church. Nobody wants to. I, the, I don't. You don't. We don't. We don't want to be that community. It won't be life-giving. It won't be life-giving. We need to be constantly seeing people baptized, coming to Christ, sharing their testimony, turned around, discipled, and sent back in as a goer, a first responder, who see it as their primary mission in life. That's what Paul's, I think that's what Paul's getting at. And he said, this is a mystery, but I'm just telling you, this church, it's being built. And this thing has legs. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. I thank you for your word. Your word redirects me. About the time that I'm getting comfortable, Lord, it does. It's, it's, cha- it's so challenging. Sometimes I don't want to read my Bible. I, I feel like it's going to tell me to do something I don't want to do. The paradox is it always brings life. The roads that look so clean and bright bring boredom and 
and death in the end, and the roads that look, well, less traveled. The first responder road, the goer road, the building the church road, those who prepare, those who gather, those who build. Lord, this road seems sacrificial, and it is, and that's why you told us to pick up our crosses. Lord, that we would have a heart for people that, how many people will perish in this valley today, this week, that are down in a hole and feel like they're in hell? And maybe they are sending out that little sound. Will we have ears to hear? Lord, help us all. Give us wisdom, give us knowledge, and our skillful craftsmanship as we come together and alongside you help build your church. In Jesus' precious name, amen, amen.